Hello and welcome to the Essential Adventure Sport Podcast, where our aim is to shed some light on the world of adventure sports, be that top tips and best practice for coaches, leaders or guides, inspiring expeditions, or just a chat with one of the many interesting people who work and play in the outdoors. We really welcome interactions and discussions. So if you have an idea of a subject you'd like covering, or you'd like to contribute to the show itself, then please drop us a message. It's time to sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Essential Adventure Sport Podcast. This week we're joined by our friend Rob Yates. Um, hey Nick, why don't you give Rob the introduction he deserves? Thanks Matt, will do. Um, now, um, I want to introduce everybody to my good friend Rob Yates and he and I call each other our Oregon friends because although Rob and I are both English, I live in Wales and as we'll soon discover, Rob lives in, in South Africa. Um, but the only place we've ever spent time together is in the state of Oregon in the United States. And uh, I'm really delighted to welcome Rob to our podcast this evening. Because uh, when I met Rob for the first time about six years ago, he and I did some coaching together. And I was fascinated by Rob's creativity, his enthusiasm, and to be honest, in my experience, his unique approach to coaching. Uh, it was a really valuable experience for me. So I'm delighted that, Rob, you're happy to chat with us today about a few coaching matters. Welcome along. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I can't wait for the – well, I, get, I guess it's get your own back, Nick, after you were on my podcast the other week. So uh, I, I'm dreading what the questions could bring. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're, we're very happy to uh, to reciprocate the uh, the welcome and to, and to have you along here. And um, I'm sure that you're well known to many of our listeners, but if I, uh, if I could give you a brief introduction, um, I know you as an English paddler, and I know that you paddle whitewater, you paddle canoe, you're a sea kayaker and a surfer, and I know that you're an experienced coach in all those areas, but there's quite a bit we could delve into there, because I know a little bit about your background in those four areas, but I recognize I don't know a great deal. So I've got a few questions for you about that in a moment. Um, cool. In addition to your paddling and your coaching life, I know you're a business coach as well. And I know that you've started and run many successful companies. And I know that currently you're the creator of a project called We Get Outdoors. Um, do you want to just take a few minutes to tell us about, about We Get Outdoors? I'm really interested to learn more about it. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's still a delight to be here and share what random knowledge I have shoved in my head with anybody who's willing to listen, really. Um, you know, becoming a father had a really profound impact on me. Uh, you get this little thing that you're responsible for, and then you look around the world about you and you wonder, what will they do for a job? Will they get to go and enjoy the outdoors like I enjoy the outdoors? Um, how will their world be? And, um, and it struck me, without going off on a Greenpeace tangent, that the, the outdoors may not be there much longer if we carry on as a planet consuming like we're consuming. I, I decided that lots of people have tried lots of things to save the world, and frankly, I didn't have the energy for it. But one thing I knew as certain is that people protect passionately something that they love, um, something they hold dear to them. 
And so the, the sort of message behind We Get Outdoors, amongst other things, and I could rant for the next hour about it, really, but the, the message behind it is to inspire people to get in the, into the outdoors and create their own love for the outdoors so that they'll become an advocate and, in their own little way, a protector of the outdoors. And that could just be driving 10 miles less a month and using less fuel. I mean, it could be like that, uh, that simple. We don't have lofty goals in that way. Uh, in, in the way of like a Greenpeace or whatever else. And it's interesting, if every North American drove 10 miles a week less, fracking in the world would stop completely within six weeks. Wow, really? And, and so it's right. we, we don't have to go and throw $50 a month at Greenpeace to save the world and do whatever else. Maybe if we all just drove 10 miles a week less, um, we'd, we'd, we'd stop fracking. Done. Like, check. And And... And so with We Get Outdoors, we're about humble self-responsibility um, and actually taking little actions that everybody can take to make the world a better place. Wonderful. Thank you for that, Rob. And so if we're, if we're keen to learn a bit more about it, um, I found you um, via Facebook and I liked We Get Outdoors and I've been following you. I guess that's one way for people to, uh, to find out more about what you're up to. Yep. So Facebook, we've equally got a, a podcast um, on every platform known to mankind and a YouTube channel as well. So um, yeah, go go find us. We don't charge for anything. Um, it, it's all there and it's a service to the outdoor community. Brilliant. Fantastic. There you go. And um, you're living in Johannesburg in South Africa these days with your wonderful family, Kerry and Caitlin. And um, I know that Kerry's uh, originally from that part of the world and, and you made the journey from the United Kingdom to live there. So I've got a question for you. Um, tell us something compared to your earlier life in the UK that is utterly different in South Africa uh, that you really were struck by when you first arrived. Wow, that's an amazing question. Um so I was brought up in um, Oxfordshire in the UK, and that was predominantly my base over the years. You know, you, you try living in other places and you just gravitate back there. And um, I was very fortunate enough to have the River Thames uh, very close by, and in particular, Hurley Weir very close by as well. Um, and I've been guilty as charged. I think I paddled at Hurley like just over 300 times one year. Um, to go to go boating. You know, any day you had twenty minutes, you'd go to Hurley and go paddling. And now I live in in South Africa. I live at sixteen hundred meters above sea level um, on a big mountain plateau in Johannesburg. There's no bloody rivers. Um, and so the biggest change in my life has been a massive decrease in paddling. Um, and any paddling that I do do requires quite a special drive. You know, well, I can go to the Zambezi for a weekend if you've got 10 hours in each direction to drive it. Um, now, you mentioned Hurley Weir a moment ago, and I know that you got into paddling at an early age and white water was your first love, I think. Mm. Um, so I have this vision of you as a Thames Weir rat into the freestyle scene, getting in the car at weekends, chasing water around the UK. Yep. Okay. There you go. That's pretty much what I thought you were up to in those days. Um, so my question to you is recalling those early paddling days, is there a standout moment or an experience or an encounter that you had with somebody that was an important learning experience for you back then 
in your youth, in your early days as a whitewater paddler? So I bullied my dad into joining the local canoe club and um, away we went. And I spent many, many, many years paddling just grade two, three rivers um, from the age of nine to about the age of 14, all over the south of the UK, really. Wales, Cornwall, Devon, so on and so forth. Um, and of course, plenty of time at Thames Weirs, but nobody knew what Hurley Weir was or where it was or that it even existed back then because there was only Sean Baker and Jacko and a few others going to Hurley Weir. And, um, and yeah, nobody really knew of it. And then it suddenly became a thing. But the, the thing that suddenly became a thing had been one of my home play spots for about four years at that point in time. And I've, I've swum at Hurley Weir more, more times than the average person. That is for absolute certain. I'd like to return to Oregon with you for a moment. And I, I've got a question for you about um, uh, one of the first times we coached together. And um, I, it was, a, it was a, a, an important moment for me. We hadn't worked together before. You took the lead. And I thought, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like to spend time uh, coaching with my new friend, Rob. And we were working with a group of people who were exploring their, their coaching skills. And I was really struck by the manner in which you developed an environment in which they felt empowered to enjoy the learning that was taking place. Um, it was a coach education course. And you very quickly created an atmosphere in the group where people felt able to experiment to explore and to share ideas and information and um i remember some of the takeaways that the students shared with us on that day so my question to you is how do we do that as paddlers as coaches what are the key elements that go into creating a an environment in which the opportunity to learn new stuff in a positive way is 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 enhanced I think that there's, um, I mean, th th yeah, there's there's a whole there's a whole book a whole book to be written on it. But um, it, it's firstly to remember that uh, that children learn the best, and um, children learn. You know, they they crawl and then they stumble and then they fall over and then they toddle and then they walk and then they run. And um, you know, parents don't teach their kids to walk. Kid te kids teach themselves. They've got everything within themselves go and learn how to walk and they do it by observing what their peers do and, and modeling it and, and then giving it a go and at every point in time when a kid falls over you don't tell that little toddler off or try and teach them you encourage them and praise them and, and say go on try it again um, or look what george is doing maybe you could walk just like george and and and, and so Creating an environment like that is just like supporting a, a little child to learn how to walk, really. Um, but, but equally, it's also a little bit like a circus. Like There has to be a ringmaster in the circus. Um, otherwise, there's like anarchy in the circus. And the, the attitude that the ringmaster brings has probably the biggest profound impact on the learning of the, of the people in the circus. Um, and if we're serious and scientific and theoretical and, and academic about it, people will just learn that coaching and paddling is serious, academic, theoretical, um, not fun, etc., um, etc. Et 
So the ringmaster in the circus has a profound impact on what the circus does and how it how it is. And it's it's not what the ringmaster knows. It's about their um, interpersonal like character, their human characteristics that they bring to the ring that controls the circus and directs it in a way. And so if if in the context of paddling, if we're all hyper theoretical and um, maybe even hyper academic about it, we, we end up just turning paddling into something that it's not. I mean, paddling is fun. Um, paddling is uh, is very practical and active. And, and and therefore, we need to provide that environment for people to go and learn in. Um, we equally need to give people permission to go and try some stuff. And coach education courses are quite scary places to be because nobody really wants to embarrass themselves in front of the coach educator, the expert. And so you've got to find a way of letting them embarrass themselves a little bit, try some stuff. And we all know, just like the toddler, like the, the kid's going to try going from crawling to walking and will end up back on its butt or smacking its head. Um, and so we need to provide that environment for them to do that with the knowledge that if we provide it, they will walk by the end of the program um, or, or sprint or whatever it might be for the purpose of that program. Um, and I think that coach education is going in some very funny directions at this point in time. There's, you know, high performance coaching of any sort is a blend of um, science and art or theory and practice. And um, to try and separate the two doesn't produce anything in terms of great coaching. Um, I, I'd even argue, argue, argue the toss that great coaches are entertainers. They're in the entertainment industry. Um, as as much as anything else. Um, and, and I think at this point in time, coaching is going down a very academic, theoretical route. And I think that we're turning coaching into more of teaching on occasions. Um, and and, and I, I think that's because when we get to academia, we all revert back to managing and dealing with academia like we were at school again, you know, uh, and no matter how hard people try to not make it that, you know, they try and rearrange the room and this, that and the other. Actually, it's all horse, horse poo um, unless unless the person at, who's facilitating the environment actually goes and does it in a way that says we're not at school now. Um, and, you know, I've, I've worked with I actually um, I, I was the keynote speaker and lead facilitator at a very, very large um, school principals conference back in February this year. There's about a thousand school principals there. Um, and it's very interesting that, that in talking to them, like, who's your best teacher? And many of them would say their best teacher is the guy who can take all the kids underneath the apple tree in the playground and still and do maths there just as successfully as um, in a classroom. Um, and so there's no reason why we can't do deliver the academic theoretical side of things in a fun, passionate, enjoyable, engaging, even I'd argue the toss hilarious way. There you go. So there's some, there's some uh, great advice and, and uh, objectives for us as coaches to follow. And I was going to ask you, actually, I was going to, I was going to ask you a question about the way um, little Caitlin is learning about her environment around her. 
you've 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 neatly answered that question there and um your your reference to um making the learning experience feel like a day in school well i can feel my anxiety levels creeping up already as i as i reflect on my school days uh, i think i got into these uh adventure sport activities in order to escape from that world mm. and so i suppose we could remind ourselves that the for most paddlers, they spend much of their time um, either paddling alone or with friends, and certainly not in a in, in a in a coaching environment per se. And I'm wondering what you th- you would advise us about the kind of uh, opportunities people can create for themselves when they're not necessarily in the presence of a coach, but they're out doing paddling. Um, or anything else in their own time, and they're, they're, they're interested in getting better at something. What what few things could they do to really help uh, develop their experience, their confidence, their ability, and their chosen activity? I think we've already touched on it a little bit, which is if you want to get better, unless the purpose is to get fitter, um, Paddle less distance, but make more of it. I think that's a, a, a massive and really explore your environment as to what's around there and what can you do. And, um, and, and you know, paddling's really not that complicated. Mm. Um, I'm sure people uh, try to make it complicated to justify their latest book or their big, big ego. Um, but, but, but really it's not that complicated. And, and so, just pick simple challenges for yourself. I mean, if you can do something forwards, then go do it backwards, um, you know, or, or sideways or, or upside down if you're a freestyle paddler. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's plenty of stuff out there. But what I generally see is people are, uh, are kind of worried about going and playing in some of the more meaty stuff because they don't have that guide, that coach, that safety net there. And then that then comes back to, well, maybe, you know, I'm a big fan of, in white water terms, paddling grade, uh, doing grade four skills on grade two white water. Um, you know, in, in, in sea kayak terms, maybe that's, maybe that's not going out on the big day. Maybe that's going out on a smaller day and finding out what you can do with it. Um, and, you know, go out with a purpose as well. What, what is it that you want to get better at and why do you want to get better at it? Um, you know, you can, I always say, and I've got a big bugbear, and Nick, you've heard me say this, is that, you know, most coaches don't offer much more advice or guidance than YouTube. Um, like the, the the technical how to be a better paddler is for freely available on YouTube. It's there. Um, so if you want to get better at something, go YouTube it and go and get, you're going to get lots of contrasting advice. So that means you're going to have to go and think for yourself and go and try some of that stuff and come up with your own ideas and own ways of doing it. And, and, and yeah, just go, go play. Um, but certainly less distance and more fun, I think is the way forwards. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm not sure that this is now the moment for Matt and I to uh, promote the existence of our kayak essentials, YouTube channel, but let's, let's quickly draw a veil over that and move on. So, yeah, Rob, that that that's fantastic advice for our for our paddlers out there. And I found myself thinking about 
times in the early days when I was learning to paddle, I'd come to North Wales. I was in my early 20s. I was a training instructor at a nearby outdoor center. Didn't have any transport. But the outdoor center was on the edge of the Menai Strait. And what we could do with my fellow trainees was paddle down the straits into the swellies where we encountered fast-flowing water. And we used to do this whenever the, we had a day off and whenever the tides were good. And initially, it was really exciting. But then, of course, we got used to the place. And there was the risk that we might get a little bit bored. But there was nowhere else to go because none of us had any vehicles. And so I don't think we realized we were being creative, but we started playing games. And we were finding out how to use these play spots in as many different ways as possible. I got very good at capsizing. I did a bit of swimming. I learned to roll. I found out that I could surf the wave forwards, backwards, and sideways, and I could link all the different eddies in different ways. And I think that first summer, when I had to get to the same place and keep myself entertained, was really helpful for my core skills. It gave me a foundation that at least let me get into whitewater paddling when I was finally able to travel and go and paddle on some rivers. So your answer got me thinking about those early days. Thanks, thanks for the memory, Rob. No worries. I just got you. Just took me back to a, um, being in the Scouts when I was younger and um, Simmers Yat, the Simmers Yat Rapids, which is where on the Welsh border towards South Wales, and just how many weeks and weekends we spent messing about in knackered kayaks at Simmons Yat, with the Scout leaders literally sat at the bottom of the rapid waiting for the debris to wash down because inevitably there'd be debris that would come down. Um, you know, we, we used to do all, like, all those games you can play on flat water. We're like, well, if you can do raft running on flat water, I bet we could do it going down the Simmons Yacht Rapid. Let's have a go at that. And all of that, I think, is often missed when we tr overcomplicate the learning process for people. It's, it's, I think about learning in terms of a triangle. So you've obviously got a big fat base to the triangle, um, you know, the, the foundation. And from what I've found recently is that the fastest way to get to the peak of the triangle is to not try and get to the peak of the triangle, but spend more and more time on that foundation stuff in lots of different ways. Um, and I think that we're guilty of coaches on occasions to try and invert people's triangles or like try and permit them to invert their own triangle. So it becomes balanced on the pointy edge, on the pointy tip. And, and yes, they can do something fancy. But um, I remember taking a group of guys to the Austrian Alps paddling on a trip. And these guys at the Chwerin in North Wales were all over the Chwerin. There wasn't an eddy, a stop or a wave or anything they couldn't do. And we got to Austria and suddenly they were all over the place, like they couldn't actually do it. And it's because they were just one trick, they're lovely guys, but they were just one trick ponies. They could they could do the Tuerin, but that was it. Um, and, and no coach had ever bothered, and they'd spent a lot of money on coaching, no coach had ever bothered to say, hey, let's not do the Tuerin, let's go and explore this, let's do that, let's go there, let's do so on and so forth. Um, let's get in a different craft. Let's go and go climbing. Let's go surfing. Let's go and do all that other transferable stuff and bring it back into paddling. No, no, I was going to kind of add to what you were saying there, Rob, and I think that when I started, um, not not personal paddling, but actually thinking about personal paddling, I don't 
can't actually remember being um, formally coached in any way. Um, I can't think of that, you know, with yeah, definitely don't think I had, you know, I didn't go and get coaching lessons and paddling lessons. I think it kind of evolved out of out of play, but I don't think I knew it was play that I was engaging in, if that makes sense. Um, but then I know when I became a um, a coach educator, then I was I was super prescribed on um, people doing things the right way and being correct in what they do. And um, I know, you know, this is maybe 2005 I started doing all this stuff and, and we were looking at um, angles of paddles and, and, and you know, distances in, in, in inches and that's not, that's too far away from the boat or that's not far away from the, from the boat and, um, you know, prescribed set routes. So you, you do this, this and this and it, and it equals this result. Um, and I think that that over-reliance and, and that over-focus um, on the, the, the technical input um, was probably something that wasn't the best. Well, I know it wasn't the best, but it probably in, in, inhibited the, the, the development of some of the people. But this was the sort of stuff that I was doing when I was delivering these coach ed courses. And um, I think about kind of technical technical templates and, and doing things by the book. And um, I, I when I run coach ed courses, I always talk about, uh, which often falls on confused ears, but I talk about a cricketer. So there's a Sri Lankan cricketer called uh, Malinga. When I was at school and I was a PE teacher, we used to teach people to um, to bowl so that their arm brushed past their ear. And it was a very, you know, um, by-the-book way of bowling. But if you look at, at the way he does it, if he'd have come to one of my PE lessons, I'd have told him he was bowling wrong and he was doing it the wrong way. And yet he's one of the, you know, the highest wicket takers in Sri Lankan history because he has this this unorthodox style that he's developed probably through just playing in the back the backyard or playing on the streets in Sri Lanka somewhere. So I think that that giving people the freedom to to go and explore and try things and using your analogy before about the the ringmaster, maybe that's where we come in and 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 help to 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 organise the environment to allow those things to happen. Is that is that along the same sort of lines as the way you think about things? Um, he's about five foot five, and yet he bowls. He bowls at the same speed that cricketers who are over six foot or six two, six two bowl at. He's, he bowls at the same speed. So what he's done is he's taken an, uh, a uh, a known skill of bowling, and he's adapted it to suit his own physical ability to still get the same output of somebody who's six foot two. Um, and, and so I often think the moment we box something and say this is the way it has to be is the moment we actually stop somebody learning and stop them developing to be the best version of them. I'm going to reach out to you both now for some advice to um, the coach who's going to go and meet some students tomorrow. And this coach has got strong technical skills and has a belief that the students need a, a perfect demonstration of that skill to be learned. They need, they need to be able to see the desired result in order for learning to take place. And so if I play devil's advocate for a moment, well, what's wrong with that? We all like a picture, don't we? We do. I love a picture. Um, and, and I, I actually part of me sits in that um, part of me sits in that camp of like 
can you do it yourself? That's there's, there's part of me sat there. Um, there's, there's equally, uh, you know, coaching's more about the quality of the question you ask than the, than the quality of the knowledge that you give. Um, and it's, so, so yes, there is the opportunity to go and do a quite traditional, um, uh, here's entering the flow at a tidal race, um, here's the perfect angle of the boat, perfect angle of the blade, the perfect demonstration, maybe even offer it in, in um, half speed and full speed, you know, so on and so forth, um, a, bit of a, a bit of a breakdown and explanation, there's, there's that. There's, there's, there's equally um, ask them some questions and say, hey, guys, what can you do? Go show me who can come up with the most effective and efficient and elegant. I love those three E's, by the way, effective, efficient and elegant. Who can come up with, um, with the most effective and efficient and elegant way of doing it? And maybe you can work in pairs and, and maybe you could teach me how to do it. Um, but I don't, I don't think that there's a right answer because every client group needs something different at a different point in time, time of day, stress levels, physical exertion, um, previous learning experiences, relationship with the coach, you know, that, that list can go on. So it, what it really comes back to is, is a high degree of uh, personal behavioral flexibility on the behalf of the coach to adapt their style to meet the needs of their people. Um, throughout the day um yeah that's 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 my thought what do you reckon matt i you've just you've just finished with where i'm going to start which is meeting the needs of the person and i think that doing a demonstration isn't a bad thing um if if um it's required and if the person that you know i've had lots of times people have said to me oh can you just do me a favor go and show me how it looks i think that's a lot different to me saying right, this is what we're going to do. You all sit there and I'm going to show you what it looks like, whether you want to see it or not. Um, so I think the use of a demonstration can be really handy. Like you say, everyone like, you know, people, some people, some people like a picture. Um, and if they ask for a picture, I'm happy to give them a picture or I might give them several pictures and say, right, there's, there's several things you can go and have a look at. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. It's about the needs of the person rather than my need to show that I can do it and get them to just copy what I'm doing, if that makes sense. Mm. I think when, you know, uh, the mark of a good coach, mark of a good coaching session is um, I don't really care whether the clients are in awe of my technical prowess at the end of a day or a half day or a session. Um, what I care about is are they in awe of their own progress and development um, throughout that session and throughout that day. Um, and so I want them to get off the water, like internally giving themselves a high five, as opposed to go giving me the coach the high five because Rob did the best surf of the day. Like, I, I, I'm pretty irrelevant in this whole equation. Um, other than my job of being a vehicle for help them progress to whatever or wherever it is they wish to go to. Um, but my relevance is pretty little. Um, and so this is about them. It's not about me. I can think of plenty of times where I've um, been on a on a river or in a, a tidal environment where we've looked at, at crossing the flow, and I've and people said, "Go on, can you give us a demonstration?" And I've delivered three demonstrations where I've got from A to B, 
but each time I've done something different and then they come back and they go, which one's the right one? And I go, well, <laughs> did I get to be? And they say, yeah. And I say, well, which one's the right one? And they say, well, they're all the right one. I say, yeah, it's a case of picking the right thing to do at the right time. And maybe sometimes you have to um, provide people with some building blocks, you know, give them the right Lego pieces and then, and then say from that, create your own, your own thing. If we give them, if we give them the whole box, well then they might still get there, but some people might want that little shortcut to help them to get to the right place. But other people might go, just give me the box and I'm going to figure out for myself and throw away the pieces that I don't need at this moment in time. Um, so yeah, I think, I think you can use demonstrations sometimes to get a different point across than just copy what I've just done. I'm with you 100%. Um, and, and what's to say there isn't a client? Uh, and Nick, your your question. Um, the, I mean, the other missing piece there is um, the coach is working on a, um, an unproven hypothesis of what it is that the clients want and need. Um, what's what's wrong with him just saying, "Hey guys, let's jump on the water and let's go boating and let's see what we see, find what we find, experience what we experience." And uh, you, you show me your magic. You show me just how great you are. I want to see you at your best. And along the way, I'll come up with some stuff that may well help you be, be an even better version of you, an even better paddler than you currently are. But you, you go show me. Um, and it's interesting. I had a day coaching tandem canoeing um, that sticks in my mind probably about six or seven years ago in, in South Wales in the UK. And um, it was a couple who uh, did lots of canoe expeditions together, wanted to be better on white water together. And, and I watched and watched and watched. And, and they thought I was coaching them, but actually I was just setting tasks and things for them to go do and having conversations with them and trying to be funny on occasions, which I struggle, struggle with. Um, but, but actually when I got to it at about one o'clock in the afternoon, you know, there was no technical tactical stuff that was really wrong actually it was how they worked as a pair um how they treated each other that was that was the issue and then you know it would have been very easy to go and say right we're going to do checking and setting in a canoe and here's the demonstration and here's what you need but actually what they really needed was a little bit of marriage guidance counseling and a little bit of um uh how actually do we be really nice for each other and and how if, if if person A is struggling, can person B support person A and, and vice versa? Because we all struggle at different points in time. Um, and, you know, the actual real technical, tactical, psychological, physical input that I put in for that whole seven-hour day we spent together was probably 30 minutes. What about the coach who um, knows all the best places, all the best venues to go to, and has already got a really clear picture in their mind about uh, in those specific venues, there's particular ways to practice in that area. And they know all the best moves that you need to make to get better. So shouldn't that coach simply get the students to practice in that way, following the coach's vision of how the venue can best be used? Uh, you know, there's many different forms of coaching. Eh? Uh, and there's there's um the just this morning i was doing a piece of coaching i've got three hours with a um with a, a very highly experienced international rugby player and i've i've got to produce one very big quick fix coming out of coronavirus lockdown 
Like there is very little time for ongoing relationship, exploration of the whole game of rugby, the mental part that he plays with, how he manages the mental part of his rugby game. I've got three hours to get a job done. Um, so it's like a quick fix. Um, and my negotiation is then how can I carry on working with him to get that from quick fix into embedded quick fix? Um, but And then equally, you've got the whole... Uh, long-term paddler development, long-term athlete development, if you want to go into that wider sports uh, realm. Um, and, um, and, and then maybe these people are somebody who you'll meet with every week for many years, um, in, in which case then, like the, the methodology that you use and the, like the ownership balance would, would need to change. Um, and, and so... So maybe, maybe, Nick, maybe it is go to the Tweran and get every eddy and surf every wave and do it just like this. Um, I often think, though, you know, 92% of lottery winners are bankrupt within two years of winning the lottery. And, um, and that, then, then that then takes me back to coaching. You know, the whole, uh, I know the venue, do it like me, do it like this. Here's a quick fix. Now you can surf this wave like a pro, blah, 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 blah. There's a massive argument to say that actually you're just giving them a lottery ticket and then permitting them to go bankrupt as a paddler in the next two years. Um, and and there's, there's, there's actually a lot of research and evidence around that as well. That isn't like something I put out of my bottom. So like there's a time and a place for everything. Um, you know, the Tony Robbins, one of the world's arguably best high performance coaches, um, often swears like a trooper not because he wants to swear like a trooper. He does it for the desired effect that swearing has at the other end. Um, so there's a time and a place for everything. And I suppose it's about understanding that and being flexible with which time and which place you choose to pull which trick. So it, it sounds like it comes back to the interpersonal relationship between the coach and the student and recognising what's needed in the moment and what will be most appropriate. What do you think, Matt? I, I, yeah, I'm going to echo the same thing that um, I think if you go with the, the intention of saying, I know this venue, which isn't a bad thing. I know areas within this venue, which will work well, which I don't think again is a bad thing. If you're going to say in that venue, this is what, this is what we're going to do. And it's kind of premeditated well, then that can't be meeting the needs of the students un unless there's been a discussion prior to that, that they want to work on these things. It can't be meeting the needs of the students because you're just basically performing a lesson, aren't you? you you've got this predetermined plan and you're saying, well, I'm just going to go and do it. And if it fits you, they might actually come away from it saying, I've had a really good day today. And they might go away and they might reflect on, on, um, on the on the memory of the experience and it could be the last possible thing that they did and they go oh i caught that wave so i've done a really good job today but actually they might not have learned much but they've had a really good um experience in in that particular moment so i think if 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 we know venues and we know they work well for things that's that's great and it's really handy because it takes away some of the processing power for us um but if we then enforce a set of um lessons and structures on them well then it's definitely it definitely can't be meeting their needs. I don't think anyway. I've I've got lots lots that I can add, but uh, I, we can we can move on to the next question. I think it's um, 
I think this is where it goes. You know, we, we spoke, or I spoke earlier about the art and science of coaching. Mm. And, um, you know, the, the art really is that soft ability to pull that right, that right bit of your coaching toolbox, which I hate that phrase, but we use it anywhere out at the right time. And, you know, there's, there's a, a time and a place for having an amazing venue where you can get somebody on their first wave and they get that feel of what a wave feels like. And, um, they, they get the big smile on their face. And if you do it well, they'll feel invincible at the end of it. And they'll feel like they're the, they're the commander of their own world. They have full control. But then equally, we have to remember that there's, um, that nothing happens in isolation. Um, and, and so could they do it on the same wave without the coach being there if they were to come back tomorrow? That's an interesting question. Um, if they were to go to a similar, way, similar wave, but in a different setting, equally then could they, do, could, could they repeat that, that trick? Um, and, and, and so there's, there's a whole lot of different questions. The, the problem is that, and, and this is conversations I have with clients on a regular basis, is that um, wh what do you really want out, out of all of this? Like, what do you really want? Um, do you want to always have a coach? Um, you know, coaches who've got the, 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 the tricks, you know, here's the, way, here's the way to surf this wave, often get quite a lot of business um, because they can pull that trick really, really quickly. It's like a magician. Um, they often get quite a lot of business. They equally tend to lose quite clients relatively quickly as well because when somebody's seen that trick three times in the same place, they're like, yeah, and next. Um, and so it, it depends, you know, as a coach, wh why are you doing this? Um, like, what are you doing? Uh, how do you want your, if you're earning money from this, how do you want your future to be? And how do you want your future income generation to be? I mean, because uh, the, the, the one trick thing, eventually you'll run out of paddlers to coach to teach it to. Sounds like a very strong argument for teaching for coaching independence and versatility in our students so that they do have the freedom to go off and have their own adventures and develop and improve and of course there's a great chance they're going to come back to you when they encounter the next bump in the road that they'd like to overcome people will hear about that and they'll want to come back to you um that's really interesting because that sounds to me like when you ask the question what is it you want to get from this experience? Uh, you initially framed it as a question that we might ask of a student, and then it turned into a, a more reflective question about what our underlying motivations are as coaches. Um, I often remind myself that the conversations we have uh, before, we, um, before we get committed to a venue, to an activity, to a to a set of goals for the day. The conversation that I have with my students is super important, without which I'm going to be guessing. I'm going to be fumbling in the dark for the answers. And I know you think a lot about that, and it's, a, it's an area that you give a lot of attention to. Would you have any advice for um, coaches out there that would help them make the most of their opportunity when they're having initial conversations with their students? So I mean, I think you've just framed it very nicely in what you said about about 
have the conversation, ask them what they want to get. Why, why, why are they using you as a coach in the first place? What is it that they've, why have they chosen you as the coach? Like, that's a very interesting question for what, what highest positive purpose have they chosen you as the coach? Um, Cause that starts to get into their head. Like what are their goals and aspirations? But equally all of that beforehand only really gives you a starting point with that client because um, often people will come to us with a challenge or a problem that they wish to be resolved. I, I would like to be better at X, Y, and Z. It doesn't matter what it is. And, and often what they're talking about is the hangover that's followed 10 beers from the previous night. Um, and, uh, and they're kind of looking and hoping for a day with a coach or a session with a coach to be like a paracetamol to take the headache away. Um, and actually, um, yeah, so cool, they've got a headache. That's the starting point. They're looking for the headache to be removed. That's another piece of information we can get beforehand. But really, we have to delve a lot deeper than that to find out how they obtained the headache in the first place. Um, and are they willing to prevent themselves from having that headache in the, uh, reoccurring in their future? Now, Nick's smiling at me because we've both had headaches together um, from too much beer, and Matt's laughing, which means Matt's been there with Nick as well. Um, but, but that conversation just gives us a starting point. We'll, we'll get out on the water, and equally, you know, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I do mountaineering and bushcraft and rock climbing and a whole range in the outdoors. Like you get out into the environment, and what I'm looking for then is why is the problem a problem? Um, because that problem has a causation at some point in time. There is a, an antecedent that leads up to it. And my next job is to find out what is that lead up to that problem um, that causes it. And then when we can remove that, people's like ability level just jumps up dramatically. Do you mind if I share a quick story? Go for it, Rob. So I'm, I'm in Oregon uh, a couple of years ago. Nick, you were there as well, but we weren't working together. I was doing my how to make your rolling um, like a zen in the art of rolling or something like that day where pretty much what I do is hog the warm swimming pool in the morning, um, go out into the ocean in the afternoon, and then we get a case of free beer and do the debrief with the free beer in the, in the jacuzzi at the end of the day. That's like the pattern of the day. And, and people turn up with all sorts of, stuff about their rolling and i had a guy whose like role was 50 50 and when it worked it looked beautiful and when it didn't it just really was a real mess um and he really struggled like to be uh, ambidextrous or bilateral do it on both sides with his with his role um and i just i asked him a question i said um when, when did you learn to be so scared of being upside down in your kayak and he, he told me a, a time. And, you know, there's, there's more to learn about coaching than you could ever learn within the adventure sports world. Actually, you need to get outside of the adventure sports world. And I, I've played a lot with gestalt therapy. So I said, well, cool. So if you think about that moment and you go hover above that moment um, in a helicopter and look down on it in your the version of you who's present here today, and you look down at it, um, what, what can you learn from that moment that will allow you to let go of it? He, he had a long think and he told me some stuff and I said, good. And now could you just go and attach a hand grenade to that, that stuff you just told me and explode it and make it like disappear into a million different pieces in your mind's eye. And he did that. And I said, cool, right. Now go and do a roll on the move on your left-hand side. Off you go. Gave him a shove. 
And lo, lo and behold, he did the thing he'd never been able to do for 26 years in a kayak, um, do that roll on the offside. And so it's, th th there is a causation behind the problem that isn't obvious. And the moment you find that causation, it's like turbocharging somebody's learning journey. What you've got to be clever enough to do is keep them entertained and engaged while you're doing the subtle investigation work of where is this causation, of what is this causation. Um, and, and once you've found that, it's interesting when you say to somebody, you know, this isn't your, the, you know, that the hangover is not your real problem. It was actually all the beer we drank last night, isn't it? And they're like, yeah. And you know, Rob, that anecdote uh, brings us back to Oregon. Uh, we started the evening in Oregon and uh, maybe an intro to a future discussion would be for you and I to explore the difference between lessons identified and lessons learned. <laughs> that phrase was in my mind as I was thinking about uh, finding the cure to the headache. There is a difference between the two, isn't there? But let's not explore it here. Um, you know, I, I could talk all night with you, Rob, because we often have. And uh, it's what I've valued greatly about my times with you when we've been in another corner of the world, chatting about paddle sport, chatting about life and figuring out what it is to spend time outdoors with people. Um, this has been a wonderful return to that experience. It's a shame that we're separated by thousands of miles, but the technology is just about kept up with us this evening. Just about. I want to... I want to thank you um, for the time you've given us and for the expertise you've shared with us because I know very well uh, the time and the energy and the intelligence you've put into contemplating your role as a coach. And I think we've got some really valuable uh, stories and we've got some excellent tips and pieces of advice for the, the inquisitive coach out there who would like to improve what they do tomorrow. And that's probably all of us, I hope. Mm. So, Rob, thank you very much for your time this evening. I think this is going to be a wonderful addition to our podcast series. And, Matt, thank you very much for all your contributions for making this a team affair. And we'll look forward to, uh, shall we agree this evening that we're going to talk again on another series of subjects? Done. You, you come up with the questions. I'll turn up with a pint of Guinness. Wonderful, Rob. So thank you very much. And best wishes with your impending move to the other side of South Africa. Look forward to tracking We Get Outdoors. And I'm hoping that our paths cross again one day soon. Likewise. Thank you to both of you. It's been a brilliant experience this evening. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. If you've enjoyed the show, why not take a look at our Essential Members program? For only £3.60 a month, you get exclusive access to a huge range of videos, articles and webinars covering technical skills, leadership principles and coaching issues from the world of paddle sports, with many topics easily transferred to other adventure sports. We think it's amazing value, so come and check it out. Remember, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Until next time, have fun and stay safe.